0: Hello and welcome to Friends for Life, a podcast of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod's Life Ministry. We're sharing the stories and insights of real people living out God's love for the people He's created. We hope you'll stick around and be our friends for life. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm your host, Stephanie Jabauer. My guest today is the Reverend Dr. Leonard Payton, who lives and serves in the Chicago metro area currently. I have you on, Pastor, because one, you're a smart guy. Two, you're just fun to talk to. And three, you've lived in the ruralest of rural areas and also the biggest of big cities. And as you know, Kirk, my husband, and I currently live in rural Northeast Arkansas, which is smack dab in the middle of the Bible Belt in one of the most pro-life states in the country. And you live in downtown Chicago in a state, Illinois, that's rather unapologetically pro-choice in one of the most densely populated metro areas of the country. I not only imagine, but I actually, I know that the vibe is much different there in the city, not just as it relates to the abortion issue, but a whole host of other life issues. And so I'm here to learn what it's like to be pro-life in the city. What are the challenges for you and your family? especially for you as a pastor, and what are the unique opportunities that you have as a Christian living in the city, and why does the rural U.S. seem to be just honestly more pro-life, more family-friendly, more kid-friendly, whereas the big cities seem less so? Before we dive in, I want you to have the opportunity to introduce yourself to our listeners.
1: Yes, uh, I'm the pastor at St. John Lutheran Church in Forest Park, Illinois, which is right at the end of the blue lines and the green lines. uh, And there's also a metro stop. So it's very much an urban uh, area. And I've been there 12 years. Uh, My wife and I, Lori and I, uh, we've been married 43 years, and we have four grown children and 10 grandchildren. So, you know, we've been through a lot of life. And yes, the parish that I serve is very much an urban parish with unique joys and unique challenges that really belong to urban life, which is very, very different from my previous parish in rural Wisconsin in that way.
0: Well, if I'm remembering right, Lori used to refer to it as the cornfields.
1: Yes, uh, it also was a St. John Lutheran church. As she called it, St. John in the Cornfields. It, it was a St. John Brown's Corners, Wisconsin. Dear, dear people, but very much a, a rural church all the way. Very much a family church, which is not so much the case in the parish that I serve now.
0: What are the demographics like at the St. John's in Chicago?
1: Within about a quarter mile of the church building, there are about 5,000 people there are a lot of five and six-story apartment and condo buildings. Those residences are not really family residences to the extent that there are children, and there are very few. They tend to be just one child and often in a single-parent household. There was a middle school three blocks north of us, a public middle school that just closed this year even though they spent really quite a lot of money on a really lovely playground about three years ago. But when you don't have the children, you don't have them. It's just an almost childless world.
0: And what's your church composed of? Is it mostly singles or young married couples or elderly? Because you said you don't have a lot of families.
1: Right. I've never been in a parish with as many singles as this one. It, it's also quite elderly. We have a great deal of difficulty keeping families. They, they move away. And a lot of that is a function of what you were saying about Illinois and the nature of Illinois. We are four blocks west of Oak Park, and Oak Park has the highest per capita same-sex households in Illinois. And Forest Park, where we are, is right behind them. So you can tell right there, that's just a very different idea about family and children to begin with. And the property taxes are, are really quite high. And as you might imagine, the uh, the schools are, are rather woke. And so parents raising children uh, eventually flee, <laughs> go to Further out suburbs, where typically there are larger Lutheran churches that have schools, and and, and so that makes church life odd because it's not uh, it's not really a family; it's a, a collection of urban refugees almost. Hmm.
0: And now, in an effort to not, on my part, completely sound like I'm knocking cities because I have lived in mm-hmm. cities my, myself, not ever in downtown Chicago, but in Milwaukee and St. Louis, so larger populations. Mm -hmm. What are some really great opportunities that you have living in the city and especially as a pastor's family Sure. that you maybe didn't have in the cornfields?
1: Sure. Well, uh, well, for one thing, there are an awful lot of people and Jesus loves people. (laughs) So, you know, the city isn't a place to abandon. Sadly, we've done that a lot within the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod and it's true of Milwaukee and Cleveland and Detroit and Chicago and even St. Louis to a degree the the churches in the city proper are fairly small we love Chicago
0: now you mentioned where you live or near where you live in Oak Park has the highest percentage per capita of same-sex couples mm-hmm. um, that families are moving outside of the city because the schools that are offered there, offer things that um, people at your church want to get away from, essentially. Right. What is it about cities, do you think, without this turning into a sociology lesson, but what is it about cities that seem to make it less conducive to family
1: life? You know, I don't know if I have a, a real hard finger on that. Around us, just the very nature of the buildings that are built, they're not really family abodes. So you pack people in, but don't provide the things that work for family life. I, I suppose c- cities could do that if that were a priority, but I think it just isn't. And, and you know, especially in our, in our larger cities that are probably defined by, really by corporations. Uh, corporations are, they're extracting for the benefit of their shareholders and They'll balance those things out as they see to their benefit, but it's always going to be their benefit that drives whatever they're doing. And that's just the nature of cities now.
0: What is it, do you think about cities or at least where you live in downtown Chicago, that there are more and more singles? Is it the same thing just because it's expensive to live there? So people who get married tend to go out towards the suburbs?
1: Well, yes. And, and in, and Chicago is really like cities throughout the country. They tend to be places that are very, very progressive with progressive agendas. And those are not really family friendly. There just aren't a lot of moms and dads who think, for example, that drag queen story hour is a great thing. Don't want their kids going to school and hearing that. Don't want them going to the public library and hearing that. And so that's that's the nature of cities right now. And again, as I said earlier, there are people there. There are souls there. There are people who are despairing. There's an enormous paradox in city life, and that is that there's there's a lot of loneliness, even though there are so many people. Hmm. It's, a, it's quite, a, quite a strange paradox. And it's a place for the church to be with force, but it's hard work. It's the nature of church and city at this point.
0: When we think about life issues... And you know, we think of the big ones, marriage, abortion, our care for the unborn. We don't usually think about mental health as much. Loneliness, as you yes. said. Yes. But I don't know. I would kind of categorize that as a life issue, wouldn't you?
1: Uh, I absolutely think it is because uh, all kinds of other pathologies flow from that. Life expectancy pathologies. And so it's a life issue. I had a friend recently. I've, I've known him now for 12 years I exercise at the at the YMCA in Oak Park. He's single. He's uh, 71. He's a retired male carrier. And he developed some severe foot problems so that he had to have some surgery done on it. Now, he lives within about three blocks of the church building. And he's been alone. He's never been married. And as I was talking with him the other day, he said, he, he said that I've never been married, Leonard. And I'm I'm scared. I'm alone and I'm scared. And as I heard him say that, I thought, hmm, I wonder how many people, that's just normal for them now in this urban life. And, and reaching them is hard because their buildings are like gated communities. You you go into this, this foyer downstairs and it's, it's locked and you press buttons and you hope they'll answer and let you in, but you can't just simply see them in passing. You have to be, you have to make it work. So there's a lot of loneliness and there, and and a lot of despair. And yes, that is a life issue. Absolutely is. And and furthermore, I think it's very much a life issue, especially for millennials who are being sold a line of goods that being childless is a good life. I'm hearing that more and more. And I'm thinking, I wonder if they'll really think that when they're 60 and 70 and 80. I, probably not. Mm. I mean, you probably track our our replacement fertility rates in our country and around the world, and they're not going up. They're, they're going down. So,
0: Right. Well, very newsworthy is the fact that we have hit the number 8 billion of a global population. Mm-hmm. But our fertility rates... Are not keeping up with or maintaining the population as it is, which is just a weird conundrum. Now the most populated time ever we don't have the fertility rates to replace our population.
1: It's actually a health boom, not a uh, not a baby boom. And, and we see this even in our churches. They're, they're, they're so much grayer And you see that really everywhere you look. Even when I go to the YMCA, just a lot of old people, People everywhere, and not very many children.
0: Is there something to the fact that people are putting off also having kids at a later age, especially women choosing to put off having children, even if they're married, at a later age to pursue their career, particularly in the inner city?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, actually, you just mentioned the uh, the elephant in the room right there, because really with the advent of the sexual revolution of the 60s and 70s, a big plank, a pillar of that was this notion that a woman's life could only be good if she had some kind of career. And so we have have all these technologies to make that work, uh, all of them to prevent conception and birth of children. And this happens over and over again. Women get into their late 20s and and they've been in their careers a little bit, maybe early 30s. And it isn't so wonderful as they actually were told it was going to be. And they start thinking, you know, I think I'd like to be married and have children. But when you're into your early 30s, time to do that is, is greatly shortened. The best childbearing years have, have passed. And and maybe the best quality genes that you had to offer have already passed. So in a sense, maybe we're, by these major choices, we may be decreasing the quality of the herd, if you will.
0: How do you, as a church planted in in the city, how do you send a clear message of children are a blessing? Mm Mm-hmm that the family is something that is really at the core of our church. The church is made up of family. How do you send that message, whether advertently or inadvertently? As a pastor, I'm sure that's kind of something you have to finesse.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Do you preach it? Do you talk about it in your Bible studies?
1: Mm-hmm. How do
0: you kind of turn the tide of what culture is like in your in your own little part
1: sure. of the world? Yeah. Okay. I have one big way that I go after this uh, continuously. And it really, it's to look at the beginning and the ending of the Bible. Uh, In the beginning, there's one man and he's alone and that's not good. And at the end, there is a multitude that no one can number from all tribes and peoples and languages. Just rejoicing at, at at a great wedding feast, having a big time forever you know for that to to get from that point of the one man who was alone to that big wedding feast there had to be a lot of procreation uh, a lot of childbearing and child rearing and the goal isn't to make this life a little bit better for a little bit longer the goal is to be at that great feast forever a lot of what i find is really concessions to the world and worldliness that that the good life is what we make of it now. And that's not really true. So I, I, I tell this story over and over in as many places as I can. You know, the, the language of, of Psalm 127, children are the heritage of the Lord and the fruit of the womb is his reward. Over and over saying that children are a blessing. Conversely, within the divine service, I never use the word abortion. I do not use that word. Uh, We pray regularly uh, for pregnant mothers and the babies they are carrying. So this is what we're praying for. And and I'm sure you've noticed this over and over again, that the world paints us as being against something. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: You know, we are against a woman's right to choose, or, or we are against abortion. Whereas uh, on the other side, they are pro-choice. This is what they're for. Uh, no, we are for life. That's all, the, that's all that's going on. Jesus wants as many people, at the, he wants lots of people at that party. He loves life. And so I say that over and over and over. This is uh, relevant to single people of all ages uh, b- because we have a vested interest in that party being really big we, we all benefit from it we have a vested interest in life being good for children and more children and families that will have uh, more children even if we are single and and childless for any reason yeah
0: you know we've in the past talked to, of course a lot about the blessings of children and marriage and you know, just to clarify that God doesn't call everybody to marriage. There's some that are given to singleness, mm-hmm. and and that is good. And God doesn't give the gift of children to every married couple, but when He does, it's called good, and mm-hmm. it's a gift, as Psalm 127 right. states. And so we're here talking about generalizations, but at the same time, what you're talking about is when God created. When we read in the Genesis account Mm -hmm. exactly what you said that he gave Eve to Adam as a helper as a as a wife to him and then he said be fruitful and multiply and so that is the plan to continue on even after of course the fall Mm -hmm. and then to look forward to the new heavens and the new earth at the great banquet the wedding feast Um, it's a party uh, like no other now why is it that you don't say the word abortion in your divine
1: service I don't say it because the parish that I serve, and I think this is probably true of urban parishes in general, probably politically purple, and that there are people who who have heard the narrative of the horrible coat hanger abortions mm-hmm. and have heard that so much. And in particular, in the context in which we are, where that's the dominant narrative, I mean, there, there are a lot of people in this country right now who really just are not aware that we've killed 62 million babies. They, they really think that the, the, the big number was coat hanger abortions uh, before Roe versus Wade, which, of course, is a tiny number by comparison. But because the people that I serve, a number of them have heard that narrative and bought into it, I have to be careful in uh, not touching those hot buttons I have to be talking with them privately, slowly, and carefully Uh, to do that from the pulpit is just to to throw a grenade, if you will.
0: And do you think the same is true for pastors in more rural areas?
1: You know, I I don't know. I, I suspect that there is generally a higher view of life, but abortion has always been a really good backstop to all kinds of shame. And rural people, are as likely to have a role in the hay as, as urban people. I don't know that that's all that different.
0: The statistics point to the fact that the Christian population isn't much different than the secular population in terms yeah. of abortion rates. And yeah. so it's safe to assume, I think, that whether you're in the inner city in a congregation or a rural town, that at least statistically, it's likely that someone in your pews has had an abortion. Mm-hmm just by numbers alone.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so what you're saying is that you have to, as a pastor, discern how you care for your congregation in, in that way mm-hmm. and how you approach it either from the pulpit or on, on an individual basis. Mm-hmm. I would suppose that that's the same for many other issues as a pastor, mm-hmm. is that there's a time and place for you to share law and gospel depending on the situation.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And as you said, I really, the other big issue that I have to be very careful of is simply that word homosexual, same way uh, because of my context. I don't use that word. I just don't use that word. I talk a lot about the scriptural template that God created man and woman for each other and that sex belongs in marriage between a man and woman. And even then I get pushback. It, It happens. And, and, and furthermore, I'm sure you're well aware, even that word homosexual, was a, that, that was an, an invented word in the late 1800s by an Austrian journalist. So whoever has the loudest megaphone gets to define what that means, and the church doesn't have the loudest megaphone right now. Mm-hmm. So when we use that word, it gets away from us. We don't, we're not able to rein in how other people are defining it. Mm. we have our own words in Holy scriptures. Uh, So for example, uh, you know, in Leviticus 18, a man shall not lie with a man as with a woman. It is an abomination. Well, okay. We can talk about that that way. It's, it's about an action, not about an identity. So that's a similar issue that way. And, and, and and that makes for a lot of loneliness too, that, that whole world.
0: Mm.
1: In fact, we have a, an area of Chicago right down near Wrigley field, that's known as Boys Town, and, and recently I was reading a man from that area complaining that it, that it was being gentrified and you had these uh, families moving in and there were children and, and there were fewer and fewer of the, of the men of that particular persuasion. And I thought, well, guess what? You haven't reproduced. You have no way of doing it.
0: So how does the church reach out to that population? Mm-hmm. Are there specific ministries that even if it's not Lutheran church that other churches in the area offer? Because God loves all people and his desire sure. is for all to be saved and to live according to his design. And so if there are nearest neighbors in the context of a neighborhood,
1: mm-hmm. uh, how,
0: how does the church reach out to
1: them? Well, I, I do think that the, the, the touch point, if you will, is that business of loneliness mm. uh, and, and a lot of that you relieve just by spending time together, and a lot of it not very significant. Uh, for me, uh, I mentioned that I I spend a fair bit of time at the YMCA, and I have my friends there, and we talk about all kinds of things that really don't matter too much. But within those, you 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 build this fabric of relationship, so that a day comes that. Something comes up and, and you move to a different level. But, but it really does take that kind of infiltration. I, I think at this point, programs are not where the action is. It's, it's hand-to-hand combat. It's clandestine operations. That's how dense the world and its worldliness is right now. The, the church doesn't really determine the culture. We, we're cultural outsiders. We come cloaked. We come hidden.
0: Hmm. It's kind of cool to think about. <laughs> it is.
1: It is. In our baptism, we're clothed with Christ. So wherever we go, there goes Christ, and and no one sees that cloak, but but he's there.
0: Yeah. When you talk about the way that you serve your church and the way that you craft the message of of Scripture to your people into mm-hmm. your context, then the goal for you, I, I'm assuming, is to give them this template that god has given us to live by in a positive presenting it in a a positive way that god's creation is good and his his order is good and then it's not just your responsibility as pastor but everybody in your congregation to then go out and do the same thing do that face-to-face hand-to-hand kind of ministry everywhere you go Mm
1: -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah and and in urban life that's really diffuse because there's not a lot of intersection between activities. When we were in rural Wisconsin, you would see the same people at school and at the Piggly Wiggly and at the exercise gym and, and at the DMV. And But in an urban life, uh, all of those functions tend to be discrete. You work, you work in this place and you, you come home and you, you have your abode in that place and then you go far away to to your mixed martial arts gym and, you know, all these things. Mm -hmm. There's very little intersection. So overcoming that loneliness is much harder work uh, in the urban world and takes longer, frankly, at the same time that the urban world is uh, generally rather transient. People come and go.
0: Hmm. I'm really curious then, how does the church present itself as the other counterpart to loneliness or the way to find community? Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm assuming that's one of your largest struggles is to get congregants to come and be involved when you're in inner city life. What do you do? How do you make your church feel like the family that it is when everyone's pulled in different directions?
1: Yeah. For one thing, we've been wired to think that some kind of programs... Would accomplish these things. And I think in suburban churches that often is the case, even yet. But as it turns out, we already have it. In John 13, Jesus said, by this all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. That one you can figure out wherever you are. So if you have a church of 20 people, those 20 people simply need to be in contact with each other and being aware of each other's needs and praying for them and meeting needs to the extent that they can, it's actually the very best outreach there is is good in-reach because the culture sees that, and that's different. If you have love for one another, this is how all people will know that you're my disciples. It, it can be shaped and tooled to any context. It's, it's, it's brilliant. Somehow Jesus is brilliant. How did that happen? <laughs>
0: So you're saying don't overcomplicate things. Right. <laughs> Keep the main thing the main thing.
1: Right. And it's often a case of of stripping away accretions from the past that, oh, we have to do this or we have to do that, and it isn't church. Well, no. The thing that we have to do is love one another.
0: I recently had on uh, the show Dr. Joel Bierman, and we mm-hmm. talked a lot about our citizenship and the dual kingdoms. yes. And so part of that discussion was the balance for Christians of not overemphasizing the role of uh, politics in a person's vote, while also mm-hmm. not shying away from the responsibility that we have in the kingdom of the left to be active, to vote, to mm-hmm. elect officials and authorities that most narrowly follow God's will and design. I would say that that's no different in the city, in Illinois as it is in every other area. How do you talk about those kinds of things with your church members or or your friends? What's politics like talking about in your church or do not? What's that look like for you?
1: Let me talk about that, first of all, in the church itself and then outward facing out in the world. So let me give you two answers. In the church, I regularly have to stress that there are things that the Lord says that impact our politics and we're not being political by being faithful to those. So for example, I'm convinced, and this is especially from the language of Deuteronomy and and what happened to the Canaanites, that the five alarm fire of our time is that we're killing babies in their mother's wombs. I mean, this is Molech worship. That's what it is, and I think we need to talk about it that way. It's not a Republican issue or a Democrat issue. It's a right or wrong issue, and so we're called to to make supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings for for our rulers. And it doesn't matter whether they're Republican or De- Democrat, if they're literally hell bent on. Killing babies, then we want to pray for repentance and for changed hearts, and we should do that. You know, I'm glad you brought this up. In Joshua chapter 5, when Joshua was on the, here he is, he's the new leader of this big group of people, and he meets this man who has a, a drawn sword, and Joshua asks him, Are you for us or against us? And the man says, I'm the captain of the Lord's host take off your shoes because this is holy ground. It's never a matter of, is it a Republican issue or a Democrat issue? It's always a matter of, how is God reading it? We need to be more bold about that, I think, in the church, in particular because I find that the world right now is encroaching into the church a whole lot more. I'm I'm hearing the world define Christianity on National Public Radio or CNN a lot more than I did 10 years ago. It's always from the abyss, always. Okay, so that's in the life of our church. We, we need to speak more strongly and clearly and not be afraid. It's not political partisan issue. All right, so here's the example from outside the church. We had a church here in Oak Park that during Lent decided to have a fast from whiteness. Okay. Okay. And, of course, the media was all over that and wasn't that wonderful. And so there I am at the YMCA, and one of my very progressive friends says to me, Leonard, uh, did your church do any of this fast from whiteness during Lent? And I said, well, you know, we're a diverse church, and we're not really very smart, but we're a diverse church, and there's just one thing that we had to figure out and, and anchor ourselves on, and that is, did Jesus rise from the dead or not? <laughs> and, and he didn't know what to do with that. But but I, I, I just simply refused to let those terms define the conversation. We, we only have one word to say. That's Jesus. That's it. Yahweh saves. Everything else is going down. If you want life... It's with Jesus.
0: Yeah. What did he say?
1: <laughs> well, for a moment he was a little bit like you, you know when you catch a fish and you throw it up on the bank and it's it's sort of gasping for air or water or whatever. And, and then he recovered for a moment. He said, "Well, I don't know. Maybe maybe it's a both and thing." And I said, "Well, mm, I I don't think we have the bandwidth to work through both of those things. So we're just sticking with Jesus." <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh.
1: And, and he and I have a good relationship. I have some tomato seeds for him. And-
0: I mean, in, in very clear terms, then, what's your answer for people who ask you, what do I do in the political sphere? Mm-hmm. To just further elaborate on that, I mean, we look at states like Illinois or cities like Chicago or out on the coasts in California, mm-hmm. New York City. A place with such a high population and such a large megaphone, is it the Christian's duty to speak into that?
1: Right. I I tell the people regularly, I'm not telling you how to vote, but it is my job to tell you how to think as a Christian. And then you must apply that to your vocation, uh, the whole palette of your vocations that the Lord has given to you, one of them which is being a voter. You're, You're going to vote. And so, these are things that you must contemplate as you go to the polls, and you need to bear in mind: if you're happy with your vote, you probably haven't thought this through. You know, these are sinners that you're you're going to be electing a sinner, and and so you're making a choice between a lesser of evils, and that's just the way it is. But you need to do that faithfully. In terms of loving your neighbor, uh, what's the best thing for your neighbor? Well, it's it's not good for your neighbor that we're killing off all these babies. This is not good for your neighbor. Those are the ways to work at it. I, I suspect there are a lot of people that go to the polls uh, selfishly, and uh, and I need to speak against that. You know, just because you don't want to pay that tax, that's not necessarily right either. It, you know, if you're voting your self-interests, you're not loving your neighbor. Here's where I really press this issue out. I, I think that most Christians don't have a lot of space to do much politically at all. That is not very significant in the left-hand world. But what we do have is our our holy priesthood. And and, and we have a power that no one else does, and we have access to a power that no one else does. And so we do make those supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings. And I think we need to make them with sharper edges, asking for bigger things. You know, here in Illinois, it's time to ask that the Lord will give repentance to the public officials who continue to affirm the killing of babies in their mother's wombs, to turn their hearts I don't care what party they are. I just care if they do the right thing. And then for the people out on the street, the, the Christians out on the street, culture's more important than politics, and we often forget that. And we we're involved in culture. Uh, you know, when when we had the uh, the COVID lockdowns and people were home, and Lori and I went out into our front yard and and completely revamped it. So we were out there digging and moving stuff around and we and here are these families they're at home and they're going up and down the street and we were able to uh, to interact with them and you cheer for the families, just being families and and girls being dressed like girls and boys being dressed like boys and having girls' names and boys' names and, 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 the, and the, the pink tricycle and the blue tricycle. You know, all the things, you, you just cheer for all those things uh, over and over. It's, it's a matter of being for those things as opposed to against uh, those things. I think culture matters more than politics, finally. Hmm. And, and indeed, you know this. You know this from your work with ultrasounds. You didn't have to get the laws changed. When the people saw the ultrasounds, they recognized this is a baby. I can't kill that. You know? Yeah. You know that movie is probably a good 10, 12 years old now. Juno, remember that movie? I do. And the girl outside the abortion clinic said to Juno, your baby has fingernails already. You see, the humanizing of the baby, that, that turned the moment. And it didn't matter whether they were in a blue state or a red state. The baby's life was saved because of that. So mm-hmm. culture matters a lot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The work of the holy priesthood praying mightily it matters. The work of culture matters. There will be a few Christians who are gifted to work hard in the kingdom of the left. But I think there are very few. And I think when we get our stomach in knots over that, uh, we we actually are neutralized and and kept away from the good things that are available to us.
0: Mm. Now, one last question before we close. I'm just thinking through my time living in cities and now. Mm -hmm. And something that I've actually heard more recently is that Families will say, well, I'm glad I'm not living in the city. Or if I was living in the city, we would be moving because of all of the radical stuff that cities are doing, schools are doing. What would your encouragement be to those families who are in the city? Mm
1: -hmm.
0: What I'm hearing you say is you wouldn't necessarily tell them you need to leave so that you can preserve the innocence of your children. There's work to do in the city too. So if all the Christians leave, what's the city?
1: Right. Well, I I do think that the Christians that need to infiltrate the city primarily are singles. doesn't mean that families don't belong there, but families that go into the city need to do it with both eyes wide open, and they need to have a very strong business plan on how to maintain their faith, and it can be done, and God bless those families that will do that. There are not many that are gifted to accomplish that. If you think back to the image of the special operations forces, uh, that hand to hand combat, those are singles. That's who they are.
0: I looked up some statistics about large cities, and in a 2018 study, more than half of the total population of the US lived in one of the top 52 largest metro areas. Mm-hmm. So, what that's saying is that half the population lives in large cities Mm -hmm. like Chicago. Mm -hmm. And so, whether you're one half of the population or the other, what you're encouraging us to do is to pray, Mm -hmm. to be faithful, to be active members in our church, to go to church, Mm -hmm. to live as a family of believers. So, whether you're in Arkansas like me or in downtown Chicago like you, Mm -hmm. our job remains the same. Mm
1: -hmm. My point, I guess, is that in the city... Uh, We probably don't have as many easy, ready-to-hand tools that we would like to have, but the ones that really matter, we do have, and those have to do with praying and with encouraging the things that are honorable and true and just and pure and commendable. We can do that no matter where we are. We can uh, alleviate loneliness there, those are those are powerful things. Those are cultural things. So I, I don't. Uh, as tough a field as the as the city is, I'm not doom and gloom about it. It's a good work. It, it's a place where Christians do need to be, and so I rejoice for the Christians who who tough it out in these places.
0: Thank you, Pastor, for joining me today, for offering encouragement, for speaking the truth, and for speaking up on behalf of life. Thank you for joining me.
1: Thank you, Stephanie.
0: And thanks to our listeners for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, please leave us a review and don't forget to click the follow or subscribe button so you don't miss out on upcoming episodes. New episodes drop twice each month. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram as Friends for Life LCMS. And finally, listeners, we want to hear from you. Do you have an idea about a guest you'd like to hear from or a topic you want talked about? Email us at friendsforlife at lcms.org. We want to hear from you about what you want to hear about when it comes to issues of life. Thanks for joining us. Friends for Life is a podcast that introduces listeners to life issues by introducing them to friends who stand for life.